Carrie Adams and you're listening to Carrie's Connoisseurs coming to you from Solid Gold Podcasts. Here we talk to the movers and shakers, the drinkers, the dreamers and all the people who make it happen in the liquor and luxury industries from around the world. Well, morning everybody. Today we are in my studio with a really darling friend of mine um, and work colleague for many, many years, Motli Mohasi. He... Um, he doesn't really require introduction, but for those of you who might not know who he is, he is one of the owners of Epicurean. And earlier on this week, I interviewed Sam Shaloa, and I promised you that there was going to be a two-part interview, and this is two-part. Mutli, welcome to Carrie's Connoisseurs. Thank you. Thank you, Carrie. And he's been dragged into the studio. I normally do, as you know, I do these things via Riverside, um, but today we've got my Mutz live so we can touch and feel and talk and smell and we should have been yes. drinking it's a bit early in the morning though hey i know and i've got golf right after this have you okay what time have you got golf no, do we need to be mindful no, okay motley yeah. mohasi um like i said to you during the the sam shaloa interview sam is larger than life you know there, there were the I've, four I've, of I've you that this. that started epicurean mm-hmm. wine which, as you know, I'll just remind you, we, we celebrated Epicurean's 20th birthday party last week. And it's just showing beautifully. And I thought it just deserved to be shown to more people around the world because it's drinking beautifully. But the, more, the thing I really wanted to encapsulate was the personalities of the owners of this wine that shine through both the Chardonnay and the red blend that you've made. But he's quiet, he's retiring, he's smart. Not that Sam isn't, but he's um, a very, very different. And, and that part of your personality comes through in the wine. That serious uh, quality that comes through in that wine is very much Mahasi. Let's tell them about Mutli Mahasi, because you know ordinary Mutli Mahasi. Mutli Mahasi was brought up in an, an apartheid era, South Africa, and shot to fame in spite of apartheid. Tell us a bit about your early, early life. Yeah, Kerry, really interesting growing up during that time mm. um, with my father involved in, uh, in politics and subsequent detention. Um, so I kind of grew up uh, in that environment. Where were uh, you born? In Soweto? <laughs> Actually, I was born at Mill Park, which is called Bridgman you Memorial. You see, and you went to bloody St. John's or something. You're fancy schmancy. You're not... Yeah, just tell us the truth. Come on. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, grew up, I grew up in Soweto. That was the only place you could grow up mm. during that time as well. Mm. Uh, so my, my parents lived mostly in Alex and moved to Soweto, I think, in the early, early 60s. Um, yeah, so kind of grew up uh, in Soweto, ended up at uh, at UCT, and which is where I started with my wine in life. Yes. Um, joined the UCT Wines Society, but I, I trained in accounting and tax, and most of my life has been in uh, in banking and finance. Yes. Uh, so that's kind of pretty much in yeah, short. It's one of those sort of clever hedge fund or venture capitalists or something like that that yes. I don't understand. No, so I, I started off uh, as a financial manager and then ended up in, in banking uh, and I got an opportunity to train at Chase Manhattan Bank, uh, which introduced me to private Studied equity. Studied further in New York. Yes, yeah. 
uh, yeah, City University of New York, uh, but really got interested in private equity. So when I got back uh, to to South Africa, waited for an opportunity, and uh, we started our own business in 1998. I was one of the founders of Real Africa Investments, which was probably the first B uh, company, mm. uh, which was which we listed in 93, 94, mm. and then I got out of that in 98, and then we set up our own private equity business, which then morphed into you know, it became Vantage Capital uh, into Mezzanine Finance. Yeah. So it's been an exciting journey. Uh, and I'm a hugely a, successful one as well. I mean, ever since I've known you, I've never known you to be anything other than successful, really. I was trying to think last night when I got into bed and I knew that I was going to be interviewing you today. And I thought, when was the first time I ever saw Motley? And do you know where it was? No. I, it was a long time ago, Mutz. And it was at, it was at a Bosch and Doll tasting. Jeez. That I was hosting to Helen gone out near in Honeydew somewhere. Yeah. Do you remember that place? It was like a it was like a verstunkende venue somewhere. We got roped into this thing somehow. And I think I don't know, anyway, we got in our cars, it was cold, it was dark, it was dirt roads, it was really yeah, shitty. Yeah. It was shitsville. So off we go, we go to this thing and I and I think that you and Baba were the only people at that tasting that I could honestly relate to. The rest of them had sort of hands growing out the middle of their back, and, you know, there was obviously a lot of interbreeding going on, and bad, ill-fitting tracksuits, and it was really horrible. It was not a goodie. And there was Mutley and his gorgeous wife, Baba, and I thought, thank God, there's somebody I can talk to. And that is the first time I ever met you, and, and, and I think that that was in 1994. Somewhere yeah, around probably, there. Probably around that It was time. that long ago. Yeah. Wow. We just sort of had some elections and things here, and it was quite unusual to see a black man and his wife at a wine tasting, and I thought, oh, God, you know, now what? And then to my utter delight, just the best. Yeah. So that was the first time I met you. Wow, wow. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't even remember that mm. uh, that, that, far, mm. that long ago. Yeah. So you went to UCT, and you obviously got swept up with... You fell in love, like we all do. Cape Town's beautiful. Yep. On a beautiful day, Cape Town's beautiful. There are not many beautiful days in Cape Town. Uh, there's plenty. There's enough. A few more than England, but not many. <laughs> the wind blows all the time. Uh, I had the most magnificent veranda uh, sort of thing on my, my place in Cape Town. And I had to chain the chairs to the, to the deck. I mean, it's just daft. That's what the wind's yeah, like in I'll Cape Town. I'll take Cape Town. Uh, Would you? Yeah, Would you? Uh, absolutely. Do you prefer it to Johannesburg? I, I think uh, I like the restaurant scene there. I think it's it's a little bit more sophisticated than than Johannesburg uh, mm. when it comes to... You don't think it's a little bit up its own you-know-what? Huh? I think people have that view, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, God, I'm, I'm, we want real I'm really people. Yeah. <laughs> it's very pretty. Yeah, the Western Cape is really pretty. Yeah. I think I always say of all the the wine lands that I've had the privilege of seeing in my life, the Western Cape honestly does have some of the most beautiful wine lands of all. Yeah, no, certainly. I mean, it's just the mountains. Uh, just mm. the setting is always absolutely gorgeous. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's not much in Napa. I mean, lots of flat land in, uh, in Napa. Uh, it's not. I know, except that, you know what I think? I love, I love the wine that's coming out of Napa. So what do you have? The pretty wine farm 
or the absolutely mind-blowing wine? Yeah, I find them interesting. I mean, the history of Napa is also uh, very fascinating about how, trying to find out how they built those things because it's a lot of tech money. Uh, so everything is pretty much over-engineered, um, but it's a really fascinating. Uh, and you know, I can remember when I was studying in England, talking about Napa, we will actually get on to Mutley's wine in two seconds flat, but I'm trying to give you a, a nice feeling of the man. And my phone is doing this, and it's somebody from New York. As we're talking, I better just switch it off. Sorry, Cal. <laughs> ah. Um... When I was studying um, my wine stuff, I we obviously had to taste quite a lot of stuff from Napa, and I was terribly rude about it because that was like in the 17th, the turn of the 17th century, you know, that's how old I am. <laughs> and I was very rude about Napa. It was very big and buxom and Dolly Parton-ish, you yep, know. Yep. It was pretty, yep. and it could sing, but it was a bit hot to handle, yep. especially when you were tasting it next to some of those very refined, very sort of shy, withdrawn Bordeaux that you have to wait for so long to love. And I was very rude about about Napa. But like you say, the tech money that's gone into that American wine industry, I've had to apologize hugely and withdraw a lot of my terribly politically incorrect, you know me, Comments about about Napa. They're making fabulous wine. Yeah, I think I think it's there's been a big movement it, both sides. I mean, if you look at what happened in in Bordeaux uh, with uh, what's his Robert Michel Parker. Michel, uh, oh yes, uh, Robert Parker influencing yes. the style of wine. I guess yes. coming out of the judgment of Paris, uh, yes. and the wines became. I, I think you'll remember in the early 2000s. Thank God they've gone back to being what they used to be. Robert Parker should never have been allowed to influence. Who cares what Robert Parker gives in points? Well, it's about the money at the end of the day. So that's, uh, you know, if if you can double your price and sell lots more. And if Robert Parker gives it 96, you can double your price. (laughs) (laughs) I get you. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's kind of my, I mean, the the Bordeaux style, Bordeaux is also it's not as pretty as uh, as the Western Cape. Just going back, Bordeaux. Yeah, the the terrain is not it's as pretty because it's actually a reclaimed marsh. If everybody's sort of true to their to their word, and we're yes. quite honest about our pedigree, yeah. it was a marsh. Yeah. It was a bog, and it was reclaimed. But what is beautiful about Bordeaux is what the French have done to it because they've just got this most unbelievable sense of style and class, and those chateaux are so exquisite. They just, you, you, you can't replace those Bordeaux yeah, chateaux. But it's also another controversy, right? About, because a lot of those names are actually Irish and, and English. Uh, well, you know, I'm and, Irish. And, and I'm and, half and, Irish. And, so you mustn't the, ever be and, rude and that, about them. And the money came from, from those merchants uh, in those early days. Mm. So a lot of English influence in the wine, French wine industry, including champagne, because uh, the bottle, the champagne bottles Listen, were originated. England, you England, know me. So. England is the seat of civilization. I'm going to be shut down in flames by everybody here. I'm not going there. (laughs) And all gorgeous things come out of England. And and the the champagne industry is about to get the biggest surprise of their life. 
With the plantings in, uh, in England. <laughs> yeah, they're, yes. they're making some stunning uh, sparkling wines. Yeah. They are. That it's funny little island that's as big as the Kruger National uh, Park. But champagne Watch. will always be champagne. What? <laughs> so, you got yourself, you fell in love with, with wine at UCT. Yes. Did you drink a lot? Did you go into the wine lands and drink a lot and be drunk and disorderly like most students? The access was not as as it was now, uh, but we had access because of the wine society. Yeah, uh, we had. Uh, when what years were you at varsity? Intervarsity with uh, with Stelis, uh, with uh, in the mid late eighties. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, so, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I was at Vitz, I wasn't at UCT. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, so yeah, so I, was, I got to UCT. I think 80, 83 or eighty four. Uh, it's so long ago now. I can't remember even when I matriculated, yeah, but yeah. it was a sort of around about then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah mid late eighties. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we just it was really formal. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't a piss up club. It was, yeah. Uh, everyone took it quite seriously. Um, so. Yeah, it was a very different experience, I, and I think that's led. And I happened to work for a boss because during my my varsity breaks, I worked for for two guys who really loved wine, and so that gave me access to 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 some quality wines yes. at that stage. But it was always the standard wines. Care, you remember you had uh, Alto Rouge, uh, Tennis Car Riesling. Hempies, yeah. Hempies de Toy used to wander around barefoot all the time, okay. and Jan Bullen. They were all ex rugby players. Yeah. Um, Springbok rugby players and they had the delicacy and finesse of a rugby player <laughs> so this wine tasted like a rugby tasted like a prop hey there but were very a, few sort of scrum halves in that lot no but it was the style in South Africa it well. was yeah because yeah. remember we used to pick uh, based on on sugars rather than on phenolic ripeness mm. so you wanted it to get to 24 26 and that's that's where you picked uh, yeah, which resulted in overly extracted wines as well. But you know, remarkably, with that very high batting, remarkably, the alcohols were quite low on those old red wines. I don't know how they did it, because I still look in cellars now, and some of those old... 12 and a half. 12, yeah. 12 and a half percent. And then we started worrying about phenolic ripeness. Yeah. And yeah, all of a sudden, the alcohols went up to 14 and a half and 15 percent. You know, yeah. it was crazy. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how they managed to yeah. do it, but, but some of them were a little bit green. Um, mm. Do you know what I think they used to do? I think they used to do. It's a practice that I really, I cannot applaud, and a lot of people do it, where they pick some of their grapes much greener, and underripe, sort of lower balings. So they blend. To and then blend with to the, try and get, and it just makes it makes the wine come out like. Two puppies in a pillowcase, you know, fighting to get out. Yeah. There's a green, horrible, caustic, tight, bad-tempered one, and then there's this big, voluptuous, seductive, sweet, sort of soft, Rubenesque thing that's also lying in the bottom of the pillow slip. And they're just never going to meet. Yeah. But I think we've come a long way. Mm. Uh, South African wines are, are just beautiful. Some of them uh, are yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I think... For us, we, when we started, I mean, that was the background because our first vintage was in 2003. Mm. And, I, and I think with the sanctions, you remember as well, South Africa never really exported. So the exposure or the view by critics wasn't there. So well, we exported a load, but it all came from the KWV. Yeah. yeah. 
It was all dreadful. Very, very, very controlled, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. So when we started, I mean, we wanted to get away from that because of our experience of, uh, of the French wines. Um, yes. Yeah, which were elegant, subtle, um, uh, especially pretty. the left bank wines. Yeah. Mm, just just really, really pretty. Yeah. yeah. And, mm. and, and they age so, so beautifully. The French wines age so, so. Yeah. Yes. I want to age like a French wine. It's not happening, but I did ask for that. <laughs> You're doing well. It's one of those things You're I'm going to have to well. speak to God about when I get to heaven. You're doing well. It's yeah. a bad design that, that wine doesn't need Botox and people do, you know. <laughs> it's one of those things. So you finished at university and, and did what? Where did you meet Baba? Let's speak. Let's tell everybody about how gorgeous Baba is. Motley's got the most gorgeous wife. She's a very dear friend of mine. She's just a sassy, classy, sexy little lady who's been an amazing mother. She's supported you through some tough times because it hasn't been easy being you in a post-apartheid South Africa. Um, and we don't have to talk about that because it's political shit and we don't want to go there. Um, suffice to say that the family is extremely successful and they've just done well and they, they are a big beacon of hope on what was a very dim horizon. So that's who the Makassis are. You met Baba where? Uh, in Pretoria at some, some oh party. <laughs> some Afrikaners party? No, no, no. no. She, she, I mean, she grew up in Pretoria in um, uh, what was, it was Mabopani. Yes. Uh, yeah, so we used to like, uh, to, we, like we used to like going there <laughs> to party. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, she she, she joined me at uh, at UCT. Yeah. So, yeah, so we've been together a little while. <laughs> so, I know, a long time. Yeah. It's been a great success story. And two girls. Two girls. Uh, Bonso working with me in the business, and uh, Lerato is uh, trained as a pastry chef and chocolatier. Where uh, is she now? She's Branching out into something different and looking at uh, digital marketing. Uh, so that's what, that's what they all do. Yeah. So they all do now. Yeah. Hey? Yeah. So you left university. You've always lived in Johannesburg. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I've just lived in. Johannesburg. Started your businesses all successful. Let's move away from all of that because I think you can see the kind of man we're dealing with, and you decided that it was time to. Maybe dip your own toes into the wine world. Yes. Well, it, I actually like to say it started off as a, as a bit of a dare. Uh, you'll remember we had that uh, single bottle club. Mm. I used to get some wines from you. Mm. My cellar wasn't that deep. At, uh, no, at and we stage. were competing <laughs> with the likes of Dave King and what have you, who had, who had a cellar of very dubious beginnings, <laughs> which I sold him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, most, well, most, of, most most of the guys said, uh, yeah, really deep sellers, uh, and I I think the story has been told a few times before, uh, where we kind of said I kind of said to Johan Rupert, I want to be your BE partner. <laughs> to Johan. <laughs> to Johan. <laughs> I know that was such a you know I love the Ruperts. Yeah. Everybody's always so rude about oh that's a bit better. Everybody's always so rude about. Everything in this country, instead of just giving everything the benefit of the doubt and, and going with a flow, you know. Yeah. Now I've made the chair go down too low. Um, but the Ruperts have 
the Ruperts, like the Oppenheimers, like many of those big, powerful families, have been so unbelievably additive in this country. Yeah. You can't take it away from there. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care how deeply, desperately unfair and unjust and un everything it seemed to be. What's been put back has never been counted. No, it's just, it's just amazing. Yeah. yeah. So you go to see... Old Dr. Rupert or Johan? No, no, it was Johan. Uh, mm. So he basically came back and said, listen, guys, I'd love to, to have you as my partners, but my structures are complicated. But you guys got such big mouths and you think you know wine. Why don't I'll make do it? it. I'll, I'll give, my, yeah, give access to my facilities. Sounds you, like you, Johan. You, you do it, yeah. So that's, that's how it started. And put us in touch with, uh, with Hein Kuchlenberg. Uh, we then put us in touch with Skalki, Skalk Willem Jubeu. Yeah. I still see Skulky, and I spend a lot of time with Skulky with his new venture. He's still, for me, one of the best winemakers in the business. Yeah, just an amazing. And Gorgeous an, man. An amazing human being. Gorgeous uh, man. We love yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's how we started with that 2003 vintage, trying mm. to explain what we wanted to do. And I think to get the message across in terms of what we're trying to achieve, we did a lot of benchmark uh, tastings, um, to demonstrate the science yes. that we... That we and I think there. I'm correct in saying that you were one of the first... I know Neil Ellis was the first ever, what I call cuckoo winemaker, where, you know, you lay your eggs in somebody else's nest. Yep. And I think Neil Ellis was the first one in South Africa. And I think that you guys were the next to do it where you didn't own your cellar, you didn't own your vineyards. You didn't own, you actually were a bit more like a negotiant, really. You went around and you, and you found the best of everything that you wanted. And I mean, you can't really go wrong with a, with a Rupert and Rothschild seller. It's sort of premium stuff, whichever way you, yeah. you shake I mean, it. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm not sure about who else was yeah, in there. Yeah, I think you were the next serious winemaker yeah, to be, do that. Because a lot of people do white labelings. They buy the wine. Uh, we get involved in the process. Yes, uh, so, yeah. So uh, we... We really quite. I think you were the, the second the, guys to do it. Yeah, with the blending, yeah. Mm. So, mm. so two thousand and three, you sign up a deal with the Rupert family. Yep. Which comes together with one of the best winemakers in the country. Yep. And access to some of the best vineyards in the yeah. country. Yeah. Were you restricted to buying Rupert grapes? No. So the way our process works, basically, they've got contracts with all of these yes. wine, with these winemakers. Uh, and essentially make the wine, and then we get to select uh, specific barrels. So, so you're actually buying the juice? Yes. You don't have anything to do with the vineyard? No, it's not technically. Yeah. So because they've got contracts. So in terms of production, our production is quite small. Mm. I think it would be a bit of a mess to try and yes, do that. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, but what it does is that it gives us access to a lot of the, of the best uh, vineyards and, and the best barrels because we go to barrel selection. And, uh, you can also, and you can also say to the winemaker, I'm sure, that you want continuity because it's something I was speaking to Sam about. The gubbins and the rudiments of any successful brand, for me, is consistency. Yeah. So you're you're in a position to dictate what vineyards you want your juices to come from. Uh, no, I, not not quite dictate. Okay, I think the team has been really interested in in what you're doing. 
So they've given us access to really beautiful uh, vineyards. So what would typically happen sometimes is that that particular vintage, uh, they'd have find a beautiful block, um, which they feel it's so beautiful, it almost needs to stand on its own uh, mm, or blend mm. it with, with very mm. uh, specific uh, other vineyards. So obviously because of the volumes that they produce, that would be kind of lost in, um, in, in that volume. Yeah. And they want to express that, so, so they make those available to us. So it's been a really, really uh, great journey with them and their interest in what we are trying to achieve. Yeah. Mm. So we then go through the, the process. Uh, so go through, they bring all uh, the tasting samples uh, from the bottles, and we'd go through and they think, like what they typically say, we think this is a good base, and we taste and then make the call on that particular uh, wine as a base, and then start uh, playing around with the with the. Plant. Tell me your Chardonnay. I fell so in love with that Chardonnay last week, that 2018 in Magnum. I put it on Facebook. I said it's my new death row drink. <laughs> it definitely is a death row drink. If you've got one shot at putting something in your mouth before they <laughs> have that, it's gorgeous. Um, is it from the Kaimanshat Vineyards? No, that is from, the grapes come from uh, Casey's Ridge. That's, yeah, just so nice. Yeah, so in Elgin, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's always Elgin? a controversy about it's Elgin or Elgin. It's Japan, Elgin, yeah. Elgin if you're proper Scottish, you say Elgin. Um, Mutz, Elgin is producing some absolutely extraordinary Chardonnay fruit. Yeah. In fact, as we sit here and speak... I told you, I've got Paul Cleaver the 17th upstairs <laughs> waiting for, another, for an interview. We're going to talk about Elgin, Elgin Chardonnay. But Casey's Ridge is lovely, so no wonder it's gorgeous. Yeah. That Chardonnay is extraordinary. You must, must tell Paul, I'm Mutlum Mahasa the third. I'm Carrie Adams the first. <laughs> I said to him, he stayed at my house last night, and I said to him, are you Paul Cleaver the third or the fourth or the fifth or what are you? He's on the seventeenth. <laughs> Sounds terribly posh and grand, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So I'm the third. <laughs> so the first one, who was the first Motley Mahasi? It was Grandpa. My, no, great uncle. In fact oh. there's one before him, so he was the second. Uh, okay. my my great uncle, yeah. So And your father wasn't a Motley? No, no. Uh, he had uh, he was Isaac Mukhase. Yeah, it's Tlache, so, Tlachele, yeah. It's so interesting. So what is your home language? If I mean it's English, so, I know, but if uh, it wasn't English, what's so, the other so, one? Tswana. Tswana. Yeah. Do you know that I have to admit, most ashamedly so, that I was born in South Africa. I was raised by a black lady called Lizzie, whose surname I never knew. I knew she lived in a place called Everton. I loved her more than I loved my mother. She was the most alarming woman. I loved her. She tried with all her heart and might to teach me to speak another language. Do you know that I don't even know how to say, Hello, Mutli, how are you? My name's Carrie. Today's Thursday. I don't even know how to say that in your language. It's, yeah. it's shameful. I think it's, uh, that's the problem with South Africa. I mean, if you go to Lesotho... Uh, but why did you make it so difficult? Why 11 languages, for goodness sake? <laughs> Just one would have been good. Well, it's the scramble for Africa. That's how they <laughs> cut up the countries. Yeah? God's Just, sakes, 11 of them. Yeah. No country on planet Earth has got 11 official languages. Uh, I think there might be one or two others. Oh, yeah. my God. Where? And I bet you nobody can speak all 11. 
Hey? No, no. Mutz, where to next with Epicurean? You know I can speak all 11, by the way. Can he? Yeah. And the, and the president. I don't even speak to me about the president. <laughs> okay, We're not let's, talking let's about not that. Go let's go let's somewhere else. We're not speaking yeah. about this president. Mutz, Epicurean the name. Epicurean. To be an Epicurean, you have to be a hedonist. Hedonism is something that I personally think is a wonderful doctrine by which to live. Why did you call your wine Epicurean? Yeah, it's, it's a, epic, the Epicurean philosophy is actually the opposite of hedonism. They're, Stop trying to cover your you-know-what. No, no, no. Epicurus. It's uh, all about sensual it, pleasures. Now you don't know what to say. It's, no. But <laughs> he Epicure, doesn't kill. Epi, no, Epicurus philosophy mm. was about keeping things simple. And that you derive a lot of your pleasure should really come from intellectual pursuits and, and friendships and, and, and relationships you know, rather than I- indulgence. Uh, so and he, this talks con- a, this he talks about absence of bodily pain as, as, as one of the... I'm with that. It's one of the things. And yeah, just simple tastes. Uh, There's nothing simple about there. a Greek. <laughs> I'll believe yeah. you, but thousands so, wouldn't. So Yeah. But then it's, it's evolved into people understanding and appreciating the fine things in life. So, so it's not, yeah, so <laughs> hedonism is, <laughs> I, I, yeah. Go back and do your homework. You'll see it's hedonism <laughs> yeah, in the extreme, which is absolutely wonderful. I think that this new world that we live in where nobody's allowed to enjoy themselves, nobody's allowed to be better than anybody else lest you offend someone. Nobody's allowed to have ambition Nobody's allowed to offend anybody else. It's just an impossibility. I think that to have, to have something to look up to, some ambition, some, somebody to look at Mutley and say, God, he was my head boy at school. Now, I don't think you're allowed to have head boys anymore in case you offend the stupid boy. When we were at school, the clever kid sat by the window because you finished first so you could look out the window and you know sing a song, do whatever. And you got more stupid as you got towards the door because <laughs> it was easier for the teacher to say to the really daft one, get the hell out of my classroom, you're causing trouble. And there was no offense taken. It was your choice as to whether you wanted to be clever or stupid or diligent or otherwise. Do you know what I mean? So there has to be all of this stuff in order to create excellence. And Epicurean is excellent. It's, you've created excellence in your brand. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. I, th- I think the, the issue of standards needs to be there. You, you can't moderate everyone. You can't, take, uh, no. you can't take the clever away to appease the <laughs> stupid. <laughs> so, yeah. But we, we're really happy with uh, the way Epicurean is... Um, okay, um, so tell us the, the blend. The makeup of the blend changes. Yes. Vintage to vintage. What do you tend to sort of lean towards? So the the first vintage was fifty-five uh, percent mellow, about forty-five percent cab. So was it fifty-five percent merlot? Yeah, yeah. And when we uh, tasted it, you know, I'm a bit thing. rude about merlot. Yeah. yeah. I always say merlot is a. <sighs> now I'll probably get shot down in flames if I tell you what I think merlot. But my grapes have got genders. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what merlot <laughs> is, and it doesn't normally do. The but, only merlot that we really drink is Chateau Petrus. Yeah. If we think of it. Yeah, obviously most of the right bank wines. Yes. Yeah, but the percentage of uh, But that of 2003 in, was just tasting yeah. gorgeous. But it's again finding those special vineyards. Mm. Uh, so, so it's kind of evolved. So, 2000 and, so it's 2003, 2004. 
so it's, uh, the plans have been fairly kind of playing 2004 was the opposite 55% CAB I think 45% uh, Melo. Melo. Uh 2005 she started to introduce uh, the CAB franc um, so the plan has pretty much since then had CAB franc uh, Melo and, uh, and, and Cabernet Sauvignon and then uh, we introduced in 2006 we introduced uh, uh, Petit Vero. Uh, I don't know if you tasted the 2006. Drinking absolutely I beautiful. I don't yeah. think I tasted the 2006. Yeah. I got stuck on the 2014, <laughs> which is just sublime. It's really, really nice. Yeah. And then 2000 and uh, we didn't 2006 years. We got a big dollop of PV of 20 percent. 2000. Now Petit Vero is an interesting grape, yeah. hey? Yeah. It's a very interesting grape. Sometimes you can just put a little bit too much in and it it's, just buckles up the yeah. whole thing. Yeah, t- t- typically should be about 5 to 10%. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, so sometimes when you start using 20%, it means you're in trouble, right? <laughs> you it, need a big splash of colour. <laughs> I love the colour of it. I want a velvet dress, the colour of Petit Verdot. Yeah, absolutely. Can you imagine? Yeah. So gorgeous. So, yeah, so that's 2007. Pretty much almost equal portions. Uh, 2008, we, probably the, the outlier in our, in our vintages had 77% cab. Um, yeah, 2008. And your cab coming from Stellenbosch? All, all, all Stellenbosch, yeah. 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 So we did have, in the early years, we had fruit from Darling. Uh, There's some nice fruit in Darling. Yeah. The, in fact, the mellow, the early mellows came from, uh, from Darling. Um, and then, yeah, we just, we just kind of mostly now pretty much Stellenbosch fruit now. That 2017, uh, 18, it's pretty much uh, straight uh, Stellenbosch now. So you'll see we're going to change the the label instead of, instead of coastal to become uh, Stellenbosch uh, okay. going forward. And and the soldiers who own the brand, is Ronald Gold still involved? No. No, Ron... Uh, Retired and uh, left for for the U.S. He I said, know. He started, well, he, he lives in Martha's Vineyard or something. I mean, who wouldn't want to be there? <laughs> I yeah. want to be there. Yeah, it's Martha's Vineyard in Sarasota. Uh, so Ron started his own brand as well called Passages uh, at some stage. Yes, I remember he started Passages yeah. in Elgin. I don't know where. He I was think it was it. in Elgin. He I think spoke he had to a deal with Bouvet Rats as well. I think he was doing some some yeah. stuff with Bouvet Rats. Yeah. So. But is he still doing passages? I don't know. I don't know. So, I don't think so because the travel in and out is, is okay. quite so. Yeah. I must actually catch up with him. is in his 80s now. He must so, be. He was a gorgeous yeah, man. And yeah. his wife, Shalana, she was a very... Shalane, yeah. Or Shalane. Shalane. She was a fabulous journalist from, from memory. Yeah, very, mm. very significant uh, yes. journalist. Um, yeah. So. so there was Ron. And then, of course, as I said to Sammy Sixpence, there was my darling Moss. Yep. It was so nice to see Diane the other night. Ah, he, yes, Martin yeah. Gershing, one of my favorite people. Yeah. And he's also pushed off to America. I mean, he's pretty much in America yeah, all he the did. time. He lives here, Rubbish, you all keeping <laughs> quiet because you want the text man to think, I know what's going on. <laughs> I, I, I'm not uh, I'm not really uh, as, as far as I know, Moss is uh, in <laughs> South Africa. never here. <laughs> um, but the going forward, plans for Epicurean? What do we need to know? The, the, I think the push into 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 other markets. Uh, I think okay, one, one of the one of the interesting things about wine, uh, especially Epicurean, we started off almost like 
a geeky wine because we wanted to make this particular wine. We never mm. had a target market um, in mind. We, we, mm. we really wanted to uh, to create uh, this wine. Uh, as, 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 as Basma would say, if no one buys it, we'll, we'll drink we'll all drink of it. We'll drink it. I remember all of us saying And, and that's kind of been the ethos. Now the world has changed into brands. Um, and the idea of a brand for us was anatema at, at, at some stage because you now I'm starting to deal with, with influencers and a whole lot of people that are interested in the brand, not so much in the wine itself. You mustn't let an influencer get hold of Epicurean. <laughs> All there will be is pictures of cleavages, <laughs> drinking eyelashes, and you say to them, what are you drinking, darling? And they don't know if it's Nesquik or fucking Momola okay, or whatever. Route, but, so we don't want but influencers. It's, but it's a, it's, a, it's a different way that people look at, at, uh, at, mm. at wine now. Uh, mm. I mean, the early days of our launches, if you recall, just always trade. Uh, and doesn't uh, have to be trade anymore. On con, off con, yeah. and, 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 yeah. and, and journalists. Uh, but now we're orientated more towards the client. Uh, so we run a private uh, client, sponsor well, a private you, client. If you uh, have a look at all the, all the very successful brands on planet Earth, there's a couple of common denominators. One, as I say, is the consistency. Yep. Don't go and keep on changing your label. I mean, how often have you seen Chateau Lafitte or anybody changing their label? Yep. Stick to your knitting. So keep your consistency good on how it looks, where it's placed. And, you know, I remember having said to a lot of wine farmers for many, many years, stop bothering about getting bullied by the trade. Rich, coming from me, I worked in the trade for many years. But for my money, trade should be a space where... It's my prerogative as to what product I put on my shelf. Yeah. I seek out the product that I want. I purchase it. And then it's my business to sell it. I don't need to get you to do tastings for me. Well, I'm perfectly capable of selling that product myself. Now, you try and get into a, an off-trade space and you're screwed for discounts and shelf space and... Catalog prices and listing fees, and then you've got to send somebody to go and do a stand there tasting every Saturday. Whatever happened to proper retail? (laughs) I'm an old-fashioned retailer. What happened? And I'm going to be shot down in flames by a lot of people, but sometimes you just have to say it like it is. If I think Epicurean is good enough to go on my shelf, I must have the courage of my, put your money where your mouth is, I'll sell it for you. Yeah. So I think a lot of the farms need to to realize that their biggest route to market is their cellar door. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I mean, I think it's, uh, I always say to people, if you look at the platter guide, it's this thick. Mm. And we're all trying to get shelf space and, and space on a wine list. Mm. So I think this probably leads to that as well, where the power shifts to the, to, to the retailer yeah. or, or to the restaurator. Yeah. yeah. So, but unfortunately, that's that's what's happened. Uh, yeah. But we've refused to pay listing Just fees. Just refused and stuff, to pay uh, those listing yeah. fees. So. I don't think Lafitte pays listing fees. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think they do. I haven't Probably watched they them. They beg them to get the wine, <laughs> <laughs> and they make quite a lot of yeah. wine as well. And I think it's been it's been that uh, for, for us as well. Uh, we've had to obviously do the tasting with the trade, and uh, the wine has been successful like that. Mm. Uh, it's been hand sales, one shop at a time. Yeah, uh, and it's just, it's worked for us, and and I think when you talk about consistency, we we say, I mean, the, 
the plan might change a little bit from year That's to fine. year. But there are things that, that are always there. It's aromatic harmony, there's complexity, mm. there's longevity. There's uh, that polish. It's glossy wine. Yeah, uh, you know? all of those things. Mm. That will always be, well, that's irrespective of the blend. That's, yes. That will always be the trademark of it. I could a, just a drink a glass mm. right now. We should have had some this morning. <laughs> we should have. What, what, in your opinion, is your most coveted bottle in your own private cellar? What bottle of wine? If I said to you, only allowed to choose one from your own cellar that's in there now, and I know pretty much what's in, what's in your cellar. Yeah. Cu- cu- what's your favorite, favorite, favorite thing? Curiously, I mean, it's a wine that I'm I'm hoping to drink soon, uh, which I'm really curious about. I've got a 1906 uh, Mutter Rothschild, um, and that's my. I mean, is that what you want? Yeah, I'm. I'm really curious about uh, about that wine. The, I've got. I mean, the other one is uh, the uh, Morache, uh Romani Conti Morache. Uh So, uh, yeah, I just love Burgundy. Well, we so. drank. I love Burgundy as well. Yeah, I'm yeah. a big Burgundy, and I drank one of the beautiful white Burgundies out of my cellar on the weekend with a special friend. It was a 1999 vintage. It was white, and it was just. Sublime. So gorgeous. So gorgeous. You have no idea. Yeah. It was really nice. Yeah, so... You can take over the world when you drink wine like nah, that. Absolutely. Yeah, mm. I mean, the, the, the white burgundies. I mean, obviously, the, the red, so... I just, it was I as fresh as the day yeah. was long. Yeah. Fresh as the day was long. It was lovely. Yeah. So that's... So and that's if I were to say to you, so we're going to drink 1906 Chateau Mouton Rothschild, and what are we going to eat? What would you eat? You're going because to the gallows in so, three hours. Because at that, at that stage, the, uh, the wine is quite subtle, the, the 1906. So you can pair it pretty much with, with anything because it's, it's gorgeous. It's, should uh, we, it should we go well. the whole hedonistic way and have mm. some foie gras? Absolutely. <laughs> You're now going to be shot and shot at dawn. That really is going to be our day's meal. Yeah. Hey. Uh, do the foie gras, do uh, the riz de veau, oh, well. uh, all rich stuff, all rich stuff, <laughs> all bad stuff. It's uh, all, it's what I unashamedly do. I do stuff on Carrie's Connoisseurs that is, well, it's princes and paupers. I mean, it's not only princes. I'm a pauper. So I sort of host it as a pauper, but as an you've aspirant. Got, you've got a decent collection. As an aspirant princess. Yes, you've got. Uh, that's how. <laughs> the queen, the queen. <laughs> Aspirant, Mutli, you are a jewel in one of our crowns. You definitely are. Uh, you just—you know what you did? You built a bridge in South Africa, which in—and and going a little bit deeper than just the wine. It was a time when everybody looked at this, myself included. You know me; I say it like it is, and I really don't care what colour anybody is. It's all about whether we get each other inside our hearts. Yeah. And you guys managed to build a bridge between the biggest, richest white capitalist in the country and yourselves, who are not white. And everybody was saying, oh, you know, it's just another one of those beaver. It's been such a wonderful success story. And me, more than anybody, so proud and so pleased at the success of Epicurean. You just pulled it off. Gary, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, 
And it was important for us uh, as well. Yeah. And there were, there were a lot of people, there were lots of skeptics. Oh, in, lots uh, of naysayers. Including, including our own friends. <laughs> lots of naysayers. Yeah. And you just quietly just pulled it off and it just, just shows everyone that we can actually just yeah. do it, you yeah. know. Yeah. Just do it. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks, Gary. Thanks for the opportunity to chat and about it. Happy 20th Epicurean. birthday. Yes. Yeah. Everybody so. needs a few cases of Epicurean in their cellar. I'm just saying, especially the 2018 Magnum of Chardonnay. That is gorgeous. Yeah. So, yeah, so we'll be making a few uh, of the back vintages available uh, throughout the year. So I'm going to put them. Just, I'm uh, going to put them in this shop. Yeah, thank you. I'll we'll, speak to you about yeah, it, and we'll put them in the shop, well. guys. So yeah. just watch the space. In yeah. fact, if you, Callum, how do I tell everybody to subscribe to whatever so they can see what's happening? On whatever you're listening to, guys, there's a little subscribe button. I'm told. <laughs> I'm told. On YouTube, there's a subscribe button, and we'll find Epicurean wines on there. Thank you, my darling. Right. Such Thanks. a privilege. Yeah, thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Bye.